Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I am Mark Taylor. I am Chris DeGroat. And I am Jeremy Duvall. Welcome. I'm really excited to have my, my brother from another mother, same club member, Mark Taylor here. And uh, new to the show, Chris DeGroat on to talk a little empire of dust so i'm really excited to have you guys you know as many people who know who've been listening to the show i've been all eod all the time i'm really excited about building my all mantic eod army so i'm really excited to have you guys some experienced players with eod to we're going to rift on armies we're going to talk maybe some lists we'll talk a little bit about you know, we're not going to read every single unit entry and point wise. I feel I think that's kind of boring. But instead, we'll take a look at, you know, our infantry choices. What are our cav choices? What are our hero choices? How do all those things sort of link together? How do we create synergies? What are formations, battle groups? So we're going to get really into a lot of juicy, uh, juicy and dusty uh, strategy talk here. Um, but, but before we get into that, why don't we do like a quick hobby hobby roundtable? We'll see what everyone is up to hobby wise. Let's start with you, Chris. What do you, what are you working on? Um, you have anything on the hobby table right now? I do, and full disclosure, I'm notoriously bad about painting about hobby. I'm, I'm still pretty novice as a painter, and even though I've played you know back since about sixth edition warhammer fantasy most of my painting usually gets done with some help uh, the you know in the days and maybe even like hours before a tournament you know i kind of paint out of necessity but i actually have uh, my first unit that i'm just painting to paint uh sitting on the hobby table right now uh, i'm still cleaning the the models up but i'm working on some uh, empire of dust uh, mummies and see if i can get a regiment of those together and paint it and based and what do you what models are you using for those? Uh, it's the pla- plastic uh, mantic models. Okay, cool, 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 cool. And and I am uh, myself, of course, not guilty for painting in the hotel room the night before a tournament. So I know nothing of what you of what you speak in regards to painting in the last minute for a tournament. But um, yeah, I'm super to have you on. Um, you know, thanks again for joining the show. Um, oh, what about you, Mark? You have anything on the hobby table? Yeah, I have, like many people recently, fallen deep into the firefight hole. <laughs> so I went pretty hard on Enforcers and also Asterians. So I'm painting up a bunch of the Enforcer Defenders currently. So those are the Riot Shield Shotgun Enforcer units. The Riot Shields are really what, what sold me on Enforcers. So I figured I might as well paint as many units that have those as, as possible. Awesome. Well, we're going to have to get you on one of our uh, firefight episodes because I know many of us have been have caught the bug, the firefight bug. Elegant game system. Have you have you had a chance to get some games in yet or you just been working on the models? Yeah, I have. I have. There's a guy here in in Chicago who was into Warpath, actually, with a new edition. He's picked firefight back up and it's good. He he has plague and, and, and environment. So we are able to do very minimal mirror matches, which is great. It's it's been great though. Awesome, 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 awesome. Yeah, I really am going to try to. Uh, I've been working on my Asterians 
I want to definitely get something together for some of that, like Friday night before a Kings tournament, you know, get a chance to do some, some Friday night firefight. But I, yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah. But it's just super clean game. Really fun. We have a, a firefight episode, which would have just dropped before this episode comes out. And we're going to be getting ready to do our first firefight army <laughs> review. So stay tuned for that. But, um, hobby wise for me, I've been, you know, working on the EOD. I've been working on my bases. I'm really trying to, you know, kick up my multi-basing action this go around. Uh, right now, I am, I, I'm kind of finalizing my color scheme. I'm, I'm pretty sure I got it where I want it, but I'm work starting with um, skeleton warriors and my chariots. I absolutely love, love, love the uh, new Mantic EOD chariots. They're just super dope. So I've been working yeah, how on those. Is that kit to assemble. Oh, it's great. I mean the the. the uh, the plastic elements, so uh, the riders and the uh, horse is just like from the Revenant Knight kit, right? And then mm-hmm. the chariot itself is resin. But I'm a fan of Mantic resin. I think the resin's pretty good. So of the chariots that I've been putting together, it's they're they're pretty solid. So the actual chariot body and sort of the attachment of the chariot body to the horse are are, are resin pieces. But so far, going together pretty easy. One quick warning, if you haven't run into this already, those chains that run up to the, the horse actually go the mounting for the wheels. Yes, I did notice that. They they, they go with – okay. I, I, I was trying to – that's funny that you mentioned that because I was like, how does all this work? And then I was like, well, <laughs> it looks like maybe they attach to the wheel. So, yeah, so thank you for that tip. But, yeah. Oh, Mantic, when will you give us instruction manuals? So, uh, you know, that's like my, if I was to, you know, leave out cookies for Santa Ronnie, it would be here, Santa Ronnie, I'm leaving you cookies, leave, start doing instruction manuals, but (laughs) well, cool. Before we get into the army review, we're going to do a little hobby origin stories. I know Mark, we may have had you on the show before, uh, at some point. I, I would think so. But remind our audience, can you just give us a little like where you live, a little bit about your gamer origin story and sort of what you've been up to lately in Kings of War? Yeah. So again, Mark Taylor, I'm out of Chicago, Illinois. My gaming origin dates back to sixth or seventh grade, picked up Warhammer Fantasy Battle. I don't even know what edition that was at that point. Fifth edition, maybe sixth. I don't know. Whatever it was around late 90s, early 2000. That's that's what I got in with. And that was a, a gateway to... 40k and Battlefield Gothic and more time and then college hit so I stopped kind of doing wargaming at that point but after that I wanted to get back into wargaming I missed it found War Machine at that point um, War Machine of Hordes private depressions game and played that throughout all the second edition um, that's where I got into the competitive side of things anyone who knows that game knows that it is very well meant and tailored for competitive play um, I know you can do it casually but I was ever successful in doing that <laughs> it was definitely much more of a hard competitive environment um which i thrived in at that point but third edition mark three hit i was kind of losing love in the game wanting more larger scale combats some friends um, in houston at the time found kings of war second edition had had just dropped gave it a try and was hooked pretty much immediately so i've been playing that since the turn of second pretty much consistently today most recently i had (laughs) Five weeks, maybe six weeks before Masters, decided I wanted to take Forces of Nature to Masters this year. And, you know, the army wasn't pretty, but it was done, which for me, it took me about two years to actually paint my Empire Dust Army. So, you know, to do everything 
to be technically complete in six weeks from purchase to tabletop was remarkable for me. That did burn me out a little bit on a fantasy models, which is why I've been really enjoying firefight so much lately. But, um, you know, and not to be fair, I know this is not a forces of nature review in any sense, but just, you know, to preempt any comments, you know, yes, greater air elementals are nonsense. We'll get into that kind of later with the bone dragon, but you know, I did not bring that nature list because it was the new broken hotness. I've been wanting an all elemental list for years anyway. So I figured if I was gonna make this happen, masters was a good time to do it anyway. So, Anyway, tangent over. <laughs> and people are likely to see you. You know, I know that you're a big fan of Adepticon. You know, sometimes yep. maybe if you can make it down. Uh, I know when you lived in Texas, you know, you were Lone Wolf, Alamo, pretty much all mm-hmm. those all those events, right? Yep, yep. I do try. I really like Lone Wolf. I feel like it's its own unique event. I don't want to say it's like a Masters that isn't Masters, but it is its own microcosm of unique player base all in a room um anyone who's anywhere close to you know dallas in april i think it is late april if you have the option to go to lone wolf i would definitely recommend it it's a great event mark does a great job mark mark cox highly recommend it i try to get down there every year if i can um it's just it's really worth attending very much a bucket list tournament if you haven't been to go to go to it at least once it very is much its own sort of microcosm of event and has its own ecosystem of memories and players and narratives and uh, I completely agree with you. Definitely. And it's one of those events that I go to every year. And then I'm like, next year, I want to spend some of my travel dollars and go to like a new tournament. <laughs> and there I am at Lone Wolf again, singing karaoke at the bar across the street. So it's just like <laughs> one of those things that it's like uh, uh, Lone Wolf gets its claws in you and never lets go. So what about you, Chris? Can you take us through a little bit of your gamer origin? You know, talk a little bit about where you live and sort of what group of guys you're normally out playing with? Sure. Uh, um, I will call them out for playing or not playing. But uh, I, I started uh, I started with role-playing games back in around fourth grade. And by high school, I had a pretty good group. And a, a good friend of mine since high school, uh, Blake Schrode, who's a, a local TO and so on, tried to get me into tabletop in high school. And I just kind of poo-pooed that in favor of the role-playing games. Then we both wound up back in my hometown um, in Midland, Michigan, around 2002, 2003. And I finally relented and started playing Warhammer Fantasy with him. And uh, we started playing about once a week in my garage, including, you know, my unheated garage in in Michigan uh, throughout the year. So we got really good at uh, mocking up insulation and using space heaters to, to play games. And we would just kind of focus around Adepticon. It's the only uh, tabletop tournament I went to for a long time. And then Fantasy dropped off, and I stopped playing tabletop games. And he got involved with Mandig, and he kind of coaxed me back into it. And I said, fine, I'll check this out. There were some online play options because no one was playing tabletop uh, in Asheville, Carolina, where I had moved for a while. And uh, I just started, just as third was coming in, and boom, the pandemic hit. And so... Most of my gaming has been on Universal Battle. I have done a one day at Adepticon, Adepticon, and the Michigan GT, and that's most of my games on an actual tabletop. Now, I live, once again, about two miles from Blake, but he never seems to be able to make it over for a game. Um, Starting to develop a little bit more of a local player base, um, trying to get some games lined up. We were trying to set up a one day at our, our local gaming shop. 
and hopefully that will lead to somewhat more regular tabletop playing. Um, but that's kind of my my hot, uh, tabletop origin story. Um, still very light on the tabletop. Cool. I think we're we're lucky to have UB, right? It really did get us through the pandemic. And I know like Mark and yeah. I play on UB a lot. Uh, I don't have a lot of local players. So basically all my in-person games are tournaments. So any like practice I have has to normally be through UB. So I just am thankful that at least it's it's something, you know, it's still not as fun as playing on the tabletop, but it's a good it's a good thing to test lists, try out weird wacky combos, get a game in with someone who lives halfway across the country, our world or whatever. So Yeah, I've noticed just uh, expanding on UB, it doesn't translate perfectly to the tabletop. Like those little, you know, click on a unit and get sight lines. I mean, that there's just no way to replicate that on the tabletop. And that's been a, a pretty tough learning curve. That and just dealing with real dice. You know, I've almost clocked myself in the handful of games that I've played in tournaments just because it's it's more to manipulate. And, you know, some of the play is a little bit slower. And there's no undo button. That That's... that's uh, Yes. A little challenging. I really noticed it, with, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more later, but those flying worms, that 75 millimeter base, trying to get that surge pivot or, or you know, fly pivot uh, and then surge down it has been challenging to translate from UB to the tabletop. Yeah, I think there definitely is a lot of muscle memory, sight lines, speed and play, how you see the table, seeing different flank charges. There's a lot that you develop a sort of, I think, um, a lens if you play on UB that, like you said, that lens doesn't always translate into tabletop. Right. Like I know sometimes I'll notice things on UB because I play UB so much more and then I'll have them on my first game at a live tournament. I'll make a stupid mistake or I won't see something or I measure something wrong. or And then once I get a game in, I'm like, okay, I'm good. And then I'm good for the rest of the tournament. But it's definitely one thing that, that it's UB. I've, I've come to grow, tend to believe it's like a good supplement but ideally, I think for your growth as a player, if you could try to play as much in person, I think it's going to make you a better, more well-rounded player. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree as well. The only thing I would really say, especially for Dust, and this is really for all Surge armies, is that UB really helped me learn exactly what angles I need to be setting up for to get flank surges. That has been a very useful tool because you can be much more precise and then you can emulate that back on the table. Obviously, you can't say, I'm going to be 62 degrees pivoted here and on the tabletop like you can with UB. But it does get that that type of thinking into my head, at least. Yeah, the develop. I think it's good. It, it develops the the basics, right? Or maybe helps helps, you know, get that foundation but it's always good i think to have both right to be able 100 yeah and then also uh, uh you know we mentioned lone wolf but i think adepticon would be there if you haven't been to adepticon if you're just a lover of miniature games and not, not just kings but you just love the hobby there's nothing quite like adepticon now i haven't been post pandemic yet but i just know as a as a spectacle uh, adepticon is pretty awesome so yeah, definitely this, recommend this me. last year they expanded out to a second hotel they kind of put more of the historical systems into the overflow system that gave a lot more room because it was not overly crowded before, but it definitely was pretty jammed into that one main hotel. So much more room to grow, much more room to actually play. Now any game system you want, you can find there. I found anything from, you know, Kings to <laughs> Gundam Gunpla type homebrew game systems. So whatever you want to find, you can find it there. 
Yeah, after winning, I'm just like, if it's if you're a lover of the hobby, Adepticon is like Disneyland. It's there's something there, you know, you're gonna love you're gonna love something, you know, and uh there. So I'm hoping to get back next year. And then also now that I'm well, I my pie in the sky goal is I'm trying to get my EOD ready for Riddle of Steel, which is in February. But worst case scenario, uh, you know, I'd like to have it ready by next Adepticon. So when I play in the, the tournament, I have the all Mantic army. Uh, so, and it's just, I, I've been really liking them. I and mean, we'll talk about it, you know, as we get into the army, but I think each, each range that Mantic has been doing is their models are getting better and better. And I think a lot of the EOD stuff fits into that sort of still old school spirit, but a little bit more modern sensibilities in some of their designs, but I'm a big fan of their EOD range. So, yeah, I haven't picked up their, their new stuff yet, but everything I've seen, everything I've heard, it looks great. It does. Cool. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to get right into the Empire of Dust Army review. We will be right back. This is Nicholas Lee, the greatest Empire of Dust player in Southeast Asia. And you're listening to Counter Charge. And we are back. So the first thing I like to do in my army reviews is I love the idea of like, we're at the gaming convention and we're, we're getting in the elevator and it's like, give me the pitch. So let's start with you, Mark. Give me your elevator pitch on why you like playing EOD or if someone was maybe curious about the army, what would you tell them? I would say the primary point that I lean on for Dust is, in my opinion, the best combined arms army in Kings of War. Um, being able to surge your shooters helps tremendously. The other main thing, and this is true for most surge heavy armies, is that if you like kind of going deep into the tactical tank of your your, your mind prison, <laughs> your mind palace, whatever it was, and just like trying to see the matrix out two to three turns to really set things up long term, um, it, it scratches that tactical itch for me a lot because you really do need to see turns in advance, in my opinion, to, to really play dust to their fullest. It's kind of like that meme, right? With the person and the math equations are all yeah, like go, exactly. going on, going on in the background. And what about you, Chris? Why don't you rift on that idea a little bit? Your your EOD elevator pitch. You know, uh, nothing too grand. I I started with dust because I'm like, wow, I have all these Tomb King models that did literally nothing but collect dust. Uh, but I was playing fantasy because they've never really seemed that competitive. So maybe I can, you know, use those to match up. So of course I promptly left them in boxes and bought all Mantic stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I like dust for, I like dust for the possibilities. Um, you know, I, I like, I really like the monolith. The fact that it gives you so many tactical options and this is similar to what Mark was saying, you know, ju just the fact that you've got this enormous bubble of, of surge and you can use so many tactical options, so many things that you can set up that even though I don't think the units necessarily stack up really strongly against say undead, uh, aside from some of the, the living legends, I think that army just has so many possibilities that it's, it's, easy to make something work and then kind of compensate and shift your battle lines. So I like it for making me think and having to try and think ahead. And I like it for the ability to capitalize on opportunities, whether it's a mistake from, from the person I'm playing with, or, uh, you know, if I get lucky and delete a unit that I didn't expect to die, you know, that, that strong reach of surge lets me really take advantage uh, of that. And it's been fun to play. 
Yeah, I really like that idea of being able to play in every phase of the game. And what I like about Dust so far is that ability is that you're moving up. You can't move at the double, right? So you're setting up your angles. Your movement phase in the beginning part of the game is pretty quick, right? You're just, you're moving up. You're sitting, you're, you're getting your shooting ready. And then I really love, it's like your opponent, then if they charge you, it's sometimes it's like they're taking their boat boat into a rocky cliff. And then, then it's you're like, you're like, okay, now it really starts. Like, I feel like my the first movement phase where my opponent has engaged me, then it's like, okay, I want to do this. I'm going to think about this surge. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, and I like that you have some good shoot. You have a little bit of shooting. You have some great flavorful characters. Uh, you you know, you have what, uh, to me, uh, Britton and I were joking the other day. And in many ways, EOD was like the first theme army, right? It's the Egyptian theme of an undead army so i like that it has an inherent cool sort of flavor to it so yeah so uh, definitely what you guys i'm have made maybe played five or six games with them and then lots against them but a lot of what you guys said have resonated with me which is why i i dig it as an army so what we're going to touch on first is why don't we touch on uh uh we're just going to go sort of through the sections of the list so let's talk about just kind of our basic you know vanilla infantry uh, we have skeleton warriors and skeleton spearmen. So why don't you rift on that first, Mark? Do you see, um, do you like one over the other? If so, is that based on like unit size or rift a little bit on the R2 sort of vanilla troop choices? Yeah. So if I had to have a single statement on it, it's that I prefer spearmen over warriors. Now that isn't to say that I think warriors are useless. Um, I just think that spearmen you get a lot for very minimal point increase. Regiments of spearmen you get the plus one unit strength. You get, you, get, you get the extra attacks. You get phalanx. It doesn't seem like you know dash fifteen defense or phalanx would be that survivable. And it won't live through everything by any sense, but it's way more survivable than you think it should be. Um, it will take a front charge from cav and should not die. It might you know if they roll two sevens, but it it should survive the one charge. Uh, warriors, if you really just need cheap unlocks, they're great at that. I've seen some people use troops of warriors as as chaff pretty effectively because um, they're only 55 points for the troop. I don't hate it. I've never tried it. I've never used it, um, but I, I see the, the use there. Um, but spearmen are definitely my, my preference. Typically in regiments, I don't hate a horde, but if you're going to be taking a horde, I'd rather you just bump it up to revenants. Yeah, so that regiment of, of spearmen is is at a nice little sweet spot. So unit strength three, right? So it's got that extra extra pip of unit strength over the regiment of skeleton warriors, fifteen attacks. But I think really it's the dash fifteen at one hundred and five <laughs> points. Yep. That you know, if to kill it, you're going to be having to throw more at it than probably its points. You know, it, it's not going to be an efficient trade. Um, yep. What about you, Chris? What are your thoughts? You know, honestly, I don't love either. I have a hard time, and maybe this is just, you know, lack of experience with kings over multiple uh, versions, but I have a hard time paying for a unit that's just unit strength. You know, maybe that's just my play style, but on the occasion where, you know, maybe I'm playing a slightly smaller point game where I just need to get an unlock uh, and I can't get all the usual toys, then I do tend to favor Spearman. Um, I think Phalanx has some uses. Uh, I like the fact that it is an extra point of unit strength, and I like that it has a few extra attacks. I mean, I never really expect it to kill much of anything, but every now and then, if I have to take a unit and I've got it out there, it surprises me, and it does does some work um, or holds something in place for a turn. Yeah, I like, if I'm going to, I'm kind of uh, uh, similar with you guys. If, if I'm going to take a Horde, 
just for the bodies or the unlocks. I'm more inclined to just take the horde of, of regular warriors at 140 points. And just if, if I'm giving them an item, it's maybe like iron resolve or something, but they're there to just be like, if I want a horde kind of roadblock, uh, whereas with the spearmen, I really like them in the regiment size. I think in the horde size, they're at 30 attacks, you know, strength four dash 22, 175. The 30 attacks is nice, but we already have so many things that cost a lot of points in dust that spending the, the points on the spearmen horde, I just sometimes feel like it's, I want to get those points into something more fun. Yeah. I, I would say, and this is going to be a, a constant theme throughout Dust, is that you need to have a reason to take those units specifically. Exactly. You can't just slot them in. Um, you can make a very interesting list build that uses the, we'll get to the, the Ominat Pharaoh and Royal Chariot the, with the Ross the Undying upgrade, but like you make a very interesting list with that. Having the, the skeletons hit on threes is pretty amazing. That's a whole conversation we'll have in a little bit here, but you definitely don't just casually add these to lists. You don't casually add anything in Dust to a list, in my opinion. You can have them in a good list, but you need to have a, a clear intention and reason and support for them. And I think it's fair to mention him now because he does really synergize with these two big attack blocks. Whereas, uh, so Empire of Dust has a, a royal pharaoh on a chariot that is a hero chariot choice. Normally, it's a speed eight chariot hero, seven attacks, dash 16 for 205 points. But you can upgrade him to Raz the Undying which uh, gives him very inspiring, over-inspiring, makes him uh, dash 17, and he gains Restore Ancient Glory, which essentially is any unit in con combat with Roz gets to use his melee value. So if he's combo charging with that Horde of Spears, all of a sudden the Spears are uh, you know, 30 attacks on threes or 25 attacks on threes with the Warriors. So I have seen some builds where people like take a horde of spearmen and give them brew of strength or are trying to make them into like a really punch you in the face combo unit with Roz. But my experience with playing Roz is he's usually off doing something else. It's, it's, a, it's not as easy as you think to be able to combo charge him in with a big horde footprint. Yeah, I would agree with that. My he's either in the middle being very inspiring and combo charging and not really getting flanks like what you would normally want a chariot hero to be doing. But he could be turning on all of your, your skeleton units. But my my main issue with it is that you're sinking 255 points into that chariot hero, plus 175 points for the spear horde. That's, you know, we're talking quick math, you know, over 420 points or so. That's a lot of points. Will it be effective? Yes. Could those 400 points be spent on two bone dragons instead or bone giants or something else? And be better? Yeah. Player preference, to me, it, I think the answer is yes, that the other option is better. But, you know, it's it's still an option that is worth considering. If it's your play style, then make it work. But have you played with him at all, uh, Chris, the upgraded Pharaoh on the chariot? Just a little. And I quickly realized that he could not be in all of the places I wanted him, to, wanted him to be all at once. I think if I were to try and play him again, I'd probably pair him with something like Revenant Cavalry. Um, or possibly some revenants, possibly uh, something with the skeleton keyword along the lines of uh, Undead Flying Worm or Revenant King on Flying Worm, where, uh, you know, maybe a, a tag team to take down a unit at a time. But um, he's a lot of points for seven attacks. Even though he gives you some extra, 
he's a lot of points for seven attacks. Yeah, and I wonder, like you said, I wonder if he's better running around with a bone dragon or running around with something that is can be on a uh, either middle left or middle right or a flank like he wants to be. Like I have such an ingrained thing. I want to put my pharaoh on a chariot, not in the middle of my battle line. I want to right. put him around somewhere where he could be a, a jerk and start mm-hmm. doing stuff. So maybe that's really the best value. Your instinct maybe is to look at the 30 attacks on spears and go, oh, I'm going to bane chant these spears and they'll have brew of strength and crushing 8,000 and all hit on threes when, when maybe he's a better piece to be helping our other skeleton keyword things that hit on fours, you know? Sure. Yeah, I mean, that, my, my only real last thought on that is that when I played Twilight Ken, I, I loved my spear horde with hammer measured fours, and that's you know, 250 points, something like that. You know, that's definitely not cheap either. And the skeleton spear horde with Roz is more effective than that for more points. But still, I mean, the argument's definitely there. I don't hate it. I don't like it in my personal builds. But if I sat across the table and it was in a list that was constructed cohesively, I wouldn't hate it. Yeah. Well, next on the list, we have sort of still, we're still in our infantry uh, bucket, but we have a little bit more of what I would call kind of like your elite or specialized infantry. So we have the revenants and the big difference with the EOD revenants as compared to regular undead revenants, right? Is they're hit on fours, right? So they're, they're hitting on a little bit better compared to the normal warriors or spearmen, but they're not defense five like the uh, undead revenants, but they do come baked in with a crushing strength one. So hit on fours, melee four, or uh, sorry, melee four, defense four, crushing strength one. You know uh, what you would expect for a little bit more elite nerve, right? Thirteen in the troop, seventeen, and then twenty-four in the horde. Um, and then sort of kind of a- alongside those, we have a- another sort of elite, more expensive infantry choice. Is we have the the uh, tried but true uh, mummies. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on? Uh, I know, Chris. Let's go with you first. You're painting up some mummies. Um, is that like a new addition to your army? Have you run either mummies or revenants before in your lists? I have run both. Um, I like revenants. If we could get them at defense five, even without crush one, I'd love revenants. They'd be they'd be nearly an auto include in my armies. Uh, but if I'm going to spend those kind of points, uh, I'm a little more selective about them. I've run them as a troop, and they make a good flanking buddy for something like uh, an enslaved guardian archer troop, or I'm sorry, uh, horde. Um, you know, someone someone that says, "Sure, go ahead and charge my archers," but then you're going to take a bunch of attacks in the flank for only 80 points as a troop. Um, I like revenant regiments more than I think I like skeletons or skeleton spearmen um, because they've got unit strength three, they've only got the 12 attacks, they've got the crush one, but they're dash 17. And every time I look at them and say their damage output's not that great, but they're just as survivable as enslaved guardian archers, which I tend to run in most of my lists. So I I like revenants. I don't love them. Uh, If the horde could be defense five, I would love it. At not at that 205 points, I tend to lean another direction. Uh, mummies, I've run troops, I've run regiments. They are consistently solid. Their combat output is okay. If you can partner them with something like uh, Shobik or a Bone Giant or a Behemoth or 
you know, so, something that's got high damage output in a small front end, so you can get both into combat. They can be pretty devastating. And I love the fact that it's easy to get them from, you know, while wow, they took eight wounds to G, they have two on them between, say, a soul snare and their regen and their life leech. So they're solid. There are lower number of attacks, and that's something that we suffer from. We don't have a lot of melee three, and we don't have a lot of quality attacks or even just a lot of attacks on our units that's kept me from running heavy mummy units. Um, but maybe they just haven't figured out how to make that work at, at the regiment level, at the troop level. I mean, they're great for flankers. And I mean, they're as hard to kill as uh, a troop of revenant cavalry, which I kind of consider to be an auto include for me. They're just a little slow. So sometimes I, I, I might use them more in the, in the revised edition. I haven't quite figured that out yet, but I, I've seen uses for all of these units. What about you, Mark? <laughs> I personally don't care for either unit. Um, I know that's kind of heresy for mummies, but just how I build lists, both of these units have one purpose, and that's to walk forward and not die. Because both of their offensive output is not great. And I always <laughs> expect more out of them, and that's on me, I realize. <laughs> but I expect more out of them offensively than they will ever do, and it always leaves me feeling... Not like the points are wasted, but that they could be spent better elsewhere. Mm. Now, there are good lists you can make. If you want to go heavy grind and have a bunch of drain life and weakness and, you know, all sorts of support in that direction, I think you make a great list with both Revenants and Mummies. Those aren't lists that I make. And it means that each time that I slot them into my list, they perform how they're supposed to perform, but it's not how I want a unit to be working. So, I, I think that Chris, I think you're right. I think Revenants and Regiments is the right choice. I think that that's really where they excel. Um, 125 points for Dash 17, Defense 4. They'll die. They aren't going to live forever, but they're going to take more to kill than 125 than 125 points should require. Mummies, I think you can have a solid you know, uh, center anvil of two Regiments of them. There are lists there that work. Um, I don't hate them in troops either. You know, as flankers, you can get them pretty reliably in there. I used to take three troops of mummies for a while. Um, and they get in a flank. They do, you know, 20 attacks on Forest Crush too. That's not nothing. But I ended up feeling like we have such limited amounts of surge that if I'm going to be surging something, it's going to be a Bone Dragon or Shobik and not a troop of mummies. Yeah. So I personally don't, don't care for them. But again, you can make a list that supports them. But I personally think that there are better builds without them. Now, I think they've gotten a lot better in this in the Big Red book for one main reason is that the Pharaoh that you get to give them the if you know, we have an option for a Pharaoh on yep. foot, right? That you for 20 points can get an elite aura for mummies. And the thing with the Pharaoh is that the Pharaoh is already a spellcaster level two, right? So uh, how they've changed host shadow beast now to be able to be cast on self in combat and the better the higher spell level the more powerful you can easily get the mummy pharaoh give him uh, elite for mummies make him spellcaster level three and then all of a sudden his host shadow beast is five attacks on threes with crushing three with his five attacks on threes with elite crushing two. So I think all of a sudden the Pharaoh becomes kind of like a little beat stick, which in my games, he's really helped the two mummy regiments that he runs around to help sort of smooth out that 
oh my gosh, I only hit on fours. These guys did like four damage or three damage or whatever. Having that Pharaoh then to come in and just drop, you know, eight attacks on threes or five attacks on threes with crushing two and five attacks on threes with crushing three makes a difference. I mean, have you guys in the past when you have run mummies, have you, do you, do you, is the Pharaoh with the elite aura like auto include if you're taking mummies, not auto include, or what do you think about that? I don't think I've run an army that was heavy enough in mummies, except way early on in playing where, or I even really consider the aura. So I wouldn't say it's an auto include for me. Um, maybe in the new edition, maybe with some of the spell options, but, uh, I've never really considered that aura to be an auto include because it only impacts a small number of attacks. Sure. Yeah, no, it, same. Um, I, I know Jeremy, you, you've been playing the, the new Hoshado beast Pharaoh combo and you'll get to that. I'm sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, same thing, Chris, I, I ran it pretty early on in dust. It's not bad, but I found the return was fairly minimal and not that we are starving for hero slots, but I found that, by the time I'm looking at cutting points, I already have two or three other sources of inspiring that are critical to the list. And the Pharaoh was not critical. So it ended up getting cut for other options. And it may be a trap. It may be the new shiny toy. Like remember when we were all about teleporting lady Alona behind your opponent's (laughs) lines, and then she'd go around and kill things. So the host shadow beast Pharaoh might just be like better in my, like in, in the theater of my mind than it is actually like on the battlefield. But man, that guy does some work. Uh, no, I mean, like, he's defense 6, fearless 18, right? 16. Fearless 16, 16, right. Regen 5, life leech. I mean, like, as Coming far as the hero with, goes. With 10 attacks, you know, exactly. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty exactly. Good. Like, as far as a beat six foot hero goes, like, he, it's hard to argue with it. It's just not something that I personally find value in. Yeah. It's something that basically, if, if I face that, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, okay, cool. I'm never gonna kill that unless I throw way more than I than, than he's worth into him. I'm just going to let him run around and be annoying and just avoid him. Yeah, it's like a points denial. It's like back in the day, you would never try to kill Morgoth, right? Exactly. Or even a way to deal with Shobik. Sometimes you just say, I'm just not going to even try to kill him. I'm yep. just going to try to, I'm trying to, to make it so that he doesn't beat me, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm just going to feed him, feed him stuff or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, and to me too, mummies also is like, I feel is kind of I try to live in that tension in that space between taking a competitive list and also taking the stuff that I want to take. And I just love mummies like thematically uh, narrative wise. I love the fact that, like you said, you don't if you don't kill them and then uh, take a turn from attacking them. Next thing you know, they're back from like eight damage or nine damage to almost healed up. So I think maybe it's like some units in my list, I take both because I think they're competitively good, but maybe I just want them. I just want mummies. So, and I think that's fine, right? There's lots of different ways to approach list building from, it's like the, if you're on the spectrum of competitive list building, it's like there's, there's ends on either side and then there's like a happy middle. So that's the, usually where I try to live in that space, right? Is pick all the models that I want to pick and then try to make the best, the best list I can out of those subcomponents. Yeah, and like it, it isn't like mommies are not competitive. I mean, Fearless 18, Regen 5, you're right. Like they will, even without support, they're very hard to actually kill. It's just you need to have a plan for that anvil beyond just these mobbies won't die. Right. They're an anvil, they're not a hammer. Yep. 
Yeah, and that's how you have to really think of them, right? Otherwise, they're always going to be just like dis- you'll have plenty of rags to wipe your tears away from their mummy robes, right? Because they're, <laughs> they're never going to be killing as much stuff as you want to kill. But um, we do have a couple of ranged infantry options. We have just your straight up oldie but a goodie, the skeleton archers, and then we do have this sort of um, elite uh, skeleton dead eye crossbow unit. Um, you guys have had any um, uh, experience running any of the infantry uh, shooting units? Not archers. I have tried the Deadeye crossbows a decent amount. I really like the, the Deadeye crossbows. The main reason I hadn't taken them in lists before is just because I couldn't find models for them. That, I believe, has changed. I think the new Mantic dust skeletons come with crossbows as an option right well they're, they're going to be releasing like the upgrade kit for the gotcha. um, okay. just like how they're going to be releasing the revenant upgrade kit they're going to have a dead eye crossbows kit here gotcha shortly. sweet sweet yeah i mean i think if if you want to make a gun line which you can make a very competent dust gun line dead eye crossbows definitely belong in that personally i don't like to lean too hard in one direction and if i'm going to be taking a range element it's just going to be the guardian archers instead um, I'm gonna agree. You know, I'm not a huge fan of a complete gut line. I, I do like a couple of ranged units, guardian archers, the soul snare. I tend to throw bows on chariots when I take them. But uh, I'm a little intrigued by the fact that the dead eye crossbows are now regular units because uh, I believe they were irregular previously. And so getting that unlock is is making me think. Of, you know, I'll probably try them in some UB games. I, I haven't got my, my book yet. Did they go to regular? Let me double check here. I, will, I believe uh, they are. Interesting. From the information uh, that I've seen. Yeah, Deadeye Crossbows are now regular. So, yeah, so that is a change. That is a big red book change as they are now unlocking units. Interesting. And that, that makes them more interesting to me. But when I look at them, two units versus one unit of enslaved, one horde of enslaved guardian archers, point costs very similar Mm-hmm. You get two targets instead of one, but the damage output is a little less against that, you know, that typical de- defense five hammer unit that you want to kill. Uh, it's a little less from those two units of dead eye crossbows. So um, I'm looking at them and I think Mark, you hit on it. If, if we want to do a gun line, then I think that'd be an essential part of it, especially since they can unlock now, but um, I haven't had a huge amount of success with them. Maybe just a couple of troops here and there. He's in the regiment, right? They're, uh, uh, Hit on fives in range, 10 attacks, dash 15 for 120 with uh, elite, yeah. yeah, elite ranged and piercing one. Whereas, like, I think that comparison of the two regiments of crossbows to the enslaved guardian archers, which enslaved guardian archers have 18 attacks, hit on fives with piercing two. But what you have with the enslaved guardian archers, which you don't get with the dead eye crossbows, right, is you have a melee four with crushing strength one, exactly. So, you know, you actually have a surgible in the flank, or even if you you can't just run a hero into enslaved guardian archers, lock them down, and not expect the hero to get punched punched squarely in the face. <laughs> right. But now that they do unlock, it does. It, it, if you do want to go that play style, which you know, all all, all to you, uh, if you want to have a more shooting, there is an option. But I think I think you guys are exactly right. I think when you're going combined arms shooting, the enslaved guardian archer hordes just give you so much more that that's probably what I'm going to put my money in as far as if I want to add a couple units of shooting, it's going to be the, the guardian archers. Yeah. Honestly, if I were to take the dead eyes now, I think I'd just be in a couple troops and that's pretty risky given the current meta with glade stalkers that defense three fearless 11 get picked up. 
real easy. But mm-hmm. if I was going to be taking them, I'd rather be taking them at 90 points for eight shots and just yeah. peppering around where they can. I'm just so afraid of so many army lists right now have light shooting. <laughs> and I think that's only going to get with the Phoenix picking up the fire, uh, it's fire spark or whatever ability and, mm-hmm. and maybe the rise of scorch wings or whatever. I think that uh, low defense, low nerve units, I just don't think are going to survive, but at 90 points, a sit on an objective and have eight shots. Like back in the day, I would have loved that unit. Uh, but I, yeah. I, it scares me a little bit right now and looking at it in the troop size with where we are right now, meta-wise. Yeah, I think Mark hit on it. Glade Stalkers. I mean, when I, when I have previously played troops of uh, the Deadeye Crossbows, Glade Stalkers weren't really ascendant. That was, I think, back before uh, Clash of Kings 22. And they were pretty well then they, they were a scoring unit and they did a little bit of flink damage in a troop uh, but now they, it's just so easy to shoot them off the board yeah but an interesting choice if you do want to uh fill out some of your uh unlocks with shooting units now the, the crossbows mm-hmm. can do that sure um now let's talk about cav we have a couple cavalry choices we have uh skeleton archer cav so uh that come in a troop and a regiment and then we have uh, the solid uh, uh, revenant cab, which you know we have. We've had this the age old troop, which is amazing, is thick chaff, and also uh, uh, a regiment, which is nice. I know, Chris, you had talked about you love playing with revenant cab. Can you rift on that a little bit? Well, I, I, for me, a revenant cab troop with the skirmishers boots is an auto include. That hundred twenty five point unit has done so much work for me being nimble with all the surge that I have available. I mean, flank and rear charges are easy, especially once you start tearing holes in each other's battle lines. Um, you know, I use it as thick chaff, but I'm always eyeing it as being, you know, a medium hammer if I can get a flank or a rear. So uh, I really like that unit. I like regiments. Um, I like that they're five points cheaper now. But the way I tend to brew, I, I tend to be a little star for unlocks. So every time I try and come up with some permutation that gets all the toys that I want, I don't wind up having quite the right mix for the Revenant Cavalry. But I think the regiments are solid. Um, I just haven't figured out how to fit them in yet. Yeah, at the regiment, uh, you know, you're looking at for um, it was 180 points. It's now dropped down to 175. So not a huge uh, change, but you're, you're saving a little points, you know, uh, mm-hmm. kind of your, your typical medium ish, uh, to light hammer for cab, right? 16 attacks on fours, a defense five, but really the big thing is that they have life leech in their defense five dash 17, you know, so they are pretty, pretty durable. Um, what about you, Mark? Um, I don't remember you using Revenant cab that much. Not so much anymore. I've been big on chariots for a long while, and since became a core component of my list, both Revenant Cav and Sultanarch Cavalry both stopped making it in. I used to use both a fair amount. I would have a regiment or two of Rev Cav, and then three, sometimes four troops of Skeleton Archer Cavalry, and it was it was, it was pretty good. I just feel like I would rather have one unit that does both. Because your Archer Cav, you're going to want turns one and two, 
And then three and four, they're they're annoying. They're not bad at that point. You know, you get a flank. They still hit on fours. No thunderous, but you get a flank from a regiment. That's twenty eight attacks on fours. That's not nothing. But Revcav are also all right. But chariots shoot two or can shoot at the very least, and also speed eight, also thunder two. Not defense five, which is relevant, but. I typically only take legions of chariots, so dash 21 rather than dash 17. The, the survivability is about the same-ish. I don't dislike them. I, I think the troops for Revcav is definitely the, 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 the proper choice. I'm not going to say the right choice because regiments aren't the wrong choice, but troops is definitely where they excel at the most. Same for the Archer Cav. Regiments aren't terrible, but you want the troops because since they're nimble, you can get them where they need to be, and they're sufficiently annoying to get out of the way. For the, the archer, yeah, the archer cav troops is uh, 100 points. You get a, a dash 12 defense three sh- uh, shoot on fives, but they have nimble shambling and r- range 18, but steady aim. So they're yeah. they're dancing around playing the you know the bob and weave. If you like that style of gameplay, which I know a lot of people love, I imagine archers the archer cab would fit in there but I, i'm with you i mean i have a couple of them in my list that um, if we have time we'll talk about later but i'm a big fan of the chariots i know i've heard some people love them some people don't but i think it's a great all-around unit um you, it comes in uh, the chariots you can revenant chariots you can either get in a troop a regiment a horde or a legion i've been running two regiments so the regiment is 140 points i love that point point level Dash 16, defense 4. They have 12 attacks. Thunderous Charge 2. The Legion, which Mark was talking about, is 20 attacks. Dash 21. But either one of those you get in the flank. It's a lot of damage. And I always take the Curse Bows, because, uh, which is the shooting upgrade, which in the regiment size gives 6 shooting attacks, and in the Legion size gives 10 shooting attacks. But I love it. It's, it's uh, steady aim. It's shattering, especially when you're take if you're taking the soul snare and maybe a couple hordes of enslaved guardian archers, having that little extra shooting from the chariots to put a wound or two plus shattering on a target makes a huge difference. And then also it gives you a speed eight threat, which a lot of our stuff is slow, right? Outside of uh, uh, you know um, a couple of our flying choices, but the chariots do give you some threat projection. You know, let's speak a little bit more on what what are your guys' thoughts around the the revenant chariot option. I um, I don't love revenant chariots, but I think that they're I think that they're the best option that you can get with three unlocks for the unit. So that legion, I, I take them as a legion. I really didn't care for the formation. I think that the Personally, I found the regiments to be a little too underwhelming, but that's probably just my play style. The Legion is the Legion was great until I started getting them shut off the board by Glade Stalkers. I think I've learned the Legion is still a really solid option. I do like the curse bows. Um, you know, for 15 points, they can you can get a wound and shattering on something. Uh, that can make a big difference. I like that they're brutal. Um, and I like that they don't have to be able to see anything to still project a threat because they can move eight and surge. So, you know, been a little slow on this one, but I think I've kind of, kind of finally figured out if I face a shooting army, I shouldn't even let my chariots be seen because I can move them out when I need them. And then they are dash 21 and, you know, defense four is okay, but with dash 21, they're a tar pit. If I happen to get a thunderous charge off, great. 
as long as I've got something there to help end the fight, you know, they're good at holding things in place. And if you can run them in support with some form of healing, I've had several games where I've had chariots, you know, get in a fight, get beat up, kill something, move on, kill something. And by the time they're, you know, turn six, turn seven, charging something, they're fully healed. So they're a really impressive unit with staying power if they don't get shot off the board. So I, I, I prefer those to all the skeleton warriors and uh, revenant hordes and skeleton spearmen hordes uh, to get the unlocks and for threat projection and for a tar pit that I can move where I need it um, as long as I'm careful to protect it from shooting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a while since I have not taken them alongside guardian archers, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I would take them without additional range support. Um, Because I think the bows are cheap enough that you probably take them. If you don't have other range attacks, I don't take the bows. I would not recommend taking them because alone they're not going to do a whole lot. Um, If someone wants to run some gargoyles in front of you, they can probably remove those. But they're not going to do a whole lot else. As a combined threat projector with other range elements, you you definitely need to be... You you need to play slow with them. Um, Typically, and we'll talk about builds here in a little bit later, but typically... I'm not charging with my chariots until turn top of three or bottom of three, top of four. Typically I'm trying to shoot off as much as I can before I can really commit them. Most because my legions, that footprint is not friendly. <laughs> so oh, yeah, you, it's, it's massive, right? Yeah. yeah so it, you, you really don't have room to maneuver once you get in there. If you haven't cleared some things out um, or weakened up, whatever you're going to be charging, like you need to make sure that whatever they charge, they can kill um, or that you're happy with them being stuck there for two turns. Mm -hmm. Um, But in general, I like them mostly in the build that I'm running right now. If I didn't have guardian archers with them, I'm not sure if I would like them as much. I'd probably stick more towards cavalry rather than chariots, but it's been a year and a half, two years since I have not run guardian archers. So (laughs) I don't really know what that list looks like. Yeah. And I think it's good. I think uh, as we'll see, in this part of the dust list, I feel that there's you have a lot of different opinions. Like I think it's good. All of us, we some of us may like certain units more than others, or or there's a little, you know, as opposed to when we get to some of our legendary choices, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of make it into almost every dust list. Uh, so I think that th- that is one aspect of the dust list that is interesting is I think there are a couple different ways you can build them out, right? There is some some variety. Yep. And you know, a lot of different people play dust in different ways with different units and still have success. So I think that's a good sign for the the general internal health of a list is that you're yeah. not just it's not just everyone's taking the exact same. Maybe everyone, and we'll talk about that later, has Shobik or or Soul Snare or some of these other choices which are really hard not to want to put in every list. But some of these other things, I think there is a nice little bit of fertile place for you to kind of find your own identity in the list. Yeah. I will say, yeah, in, in summary, I've seen a lot of successful dust lists that have not taken chariots. So they work very well if you need them in that specific role. If you don't really like their flavor, you don't need them. They can, you can make a very, a very valid list without them. So let's talk the new, it's our one large cab choice. And this is a unit that's changed slightly 
uh, with the big red book, which is the Sandborn Worm Riders. And I know that this is we've seen some of the art from, and yeah. it's like, a, yeah, it's gonna look. It looks totally badass. The models coming out from Magic for this. So, this is your sort of Worm Rider large cav. I know this is a unit close to to Mark's heart. As you know, <laughs> we've worked on many variations of this and play testing throughout the time that Mark and I have play tested. But so the Sandborn Worm Riders, they've changed in the fact that the horde now is 16, 18. So they're, they're picking up more nerve. Uh, the Life Leech has gone from Life Leech 1 to Life Leech 2. So again, just more nerve, a little bit extra uh, Life Leech. Um, what do we think about... Also, of course, the um, the troop went up in nerve too, uh, to 13, 15. So uh, increase in Life Leech increase in nerve what are we thinking about is this going to make these more these guys more playable or more on the table you guys think i think so i I see them as not better fiends but comparable to fiends um defense five life leech two is i believe more advantageous defensively especially against range attacks than just stealthy defense four and height four means you can do the same, you know, hide behind a hill, have line of sight over it, but you have cover. Speed seven is not speed eight, granted, but I think that the regiments at 1315 defense five are tough enough that it takes a lot of concentrated fire to really actually kill them. Now, with enough Glade Stalker spam, that's possible, obviously, but, you know, if they're spending probably the three units it would take to bring them down to a breakpoint, a reliable breakpoint, that's worth it for a 135 point unit. Um, you still you have 12 attacks on fours, crush one. That's plenty for a Glade Stalker if you're going into that. Um, you know, it's definitely more points than you would typically want to spend on something that would be thick chaff, but it's slightly better. <sighs> it doesn't really fall into the category of thick chaff, in my opinion. Like 120 is about as much as, much as I would spend on or categorize something as thick chaff, but it's still feels kind of a similar role where it's kind of chaff, kind of a flanker can't really be ignored, but isn't really going to do anything on its own. Um, but overall, I like them. I think the combined plus one nerve plus one life leech makes us a very tanky unit. And it has that volume of, of attacks that dust really sorely needs and built in pathfinder. Uh, what are your thoughts, Chris, on this unit? You know, when they first came out, I kind of dismissed them out of hand because they have this funny number in front of the second under nerve. There are two <laughs> numbers under nerve, and I think Dust is only supposed to ever have a dash in a number. Um, and I love wavering, but I love doing it to my opponent. I don't really want my units to stop responding. But Life Leech 2 and, you know, up to 18 nerve is pretty compelling. Um, you know, I get the impression that these are a unit that can lock something into combat for a while. And so I, I think I will try them out now. I don't love that they don't shamble. I don't love that they can be wavered. Um, but I think they're worth a look because that is a lot of attacks, you know, to, to Mark's point. And the point cost is reasonable. And with, with you know, Life Leech 2, I can see them grinding really well. It, it Maybe if we toss some waiver mitigation on them. Now, if we had Native Bane Chant... I would love these automatically, but the fact that they're going to be stuck at crush one, if you want to deal with waiver mitigation makes me a little hesitant to just jump on that bandwagon. 
And I just wonder, you know, with a caterpillar pushing a caterpillar going away, you know, how is it important to try to have at least, you know, one pathfinder unit in an army? You know, and I guess that could also depend on your meta as far as what type of terrain are you normally playing in, right? But um, yeah, no, I think it's an interesting unit. I'm I'm excited to see the models. Yeah, so this will definitely be one. I haven't played with them yet, but it's on my sort of like to test, to test, you know, on the testing block list. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that the main thing that they, in the, the, the conversation for Dust, is that they get compared to Enslaved Guardians, um, most because it's at the same price point, you know, 225 for the, the Horde. Before my, before the Big Red Book, I, I would always say if, if, that if you want a naked unit, Guardians are the better choice. If you want a unit with an item on them, Worm Riders are the better choice. Because Worm Riders take items exceptionally well. Those 24 attacks means you take sharpness, you take strength, you take nimble, you take haste. All of it is great. Um, now, with the better life leech, better nerve, I'm more compelled to take them na- naked, but I still think that that mentality is still probably right. Of If you take Worm Riders, you're probably going to put an item on them. I haven't really had the chance to test out that quite yet but I, I believe that's probably still where i'm at with them yeah because like you said in a unit like that when you're talking about like cost of item per attack because they have so many attacks it mm-hmm. sometimes i like to think about items like that like cost per use or cost per attack like what uh, it's to sort of help guide me where i'm putting those items you know i yeah. think that you're right the the worm riders do take a really take items really well whether you want to blow the farm and put sharpness on them or put, you know, strength or like you said, whatever, or you want to put haste, you know, to, to, you know, give you more speed aid or whatever. But I think it's definitely, there's something there. And I didn't really thought about using them in the smaller regiment size, but now that I, I take a closer look at them, that there might be something there with having a, a, a regiment or two of, uh, you know, uh, 13, 15 for 135 points, defense five, you know, that's not, you know, not a cakewalk to kill. Right. Okay. Well, mo- moving right along, let's touch base on um, monsters. So we still have, um, uh, we still got the bone giant, uh, a solid choice. And I'm curious what you guys think about the, the reanimated behemoth, you know, has changed slightly, not a huge change in the big red book. It did pick up uh, one extra nerve. Uh, same points, so just uh, getting a little... Is that enough that we're going to maybe see some re- reanimated behemoths? Or is it because we're spending all that points, you know, on other stuff that that feels like it's sitting in a spot where it's always been kind of like, what do we do with this unit? Hmm. Go ahead, Mark. I can say, yeah, like it's probably the most situationally appropriate monster now. That one point of nerve, I think, is pretty huge. In all of my playtesting with it, Dash 16, even being defense 6, Dash 16 was still just killable versus if it had one point of nerve more, it's much less likely to die. And then being defense 6 with all of the heal and recursion that Dust has, every wound you remove from that, it's like Shobik, just lesser nerve. I think there's a good build you can make with probably 2, probably not 3 plus Shobik. That is just your defense 6 wall of things don't die. And you probably put Drain Life on them as well. I know it seems like a trap, 220 for Drain Life 6, but combine their Drain Life, doing those extra two wounds, one or two wounds before they charge in, helps a lot, as well as 
just leads back on that recursion. Um, it, it's probably the most, like I said, most situationally appropriate unit in the whole list. If you're taking them, you're building a list around them. But I think you can make a good list with them. I'm going to agree with that. I think, in my mind, I think the reanimated behemoth fits with a slower infantry-based list. Mm-hmm. If you're going to play mummies, if you're going to play hordes of spears or revenants, um, you know, if speed six is fast for your army, then I think that they're going to be a really solid role player. And you can use them to, you know, in positioning to try and limit the number of charges into your other units. They can take almost anything on the nose, a single unit charge. So they're, they're good for that. That extra point of nerve helps for sure. Um, I don't know if I would put Drain Life on them because they have a respectable combat profile and I want them fighting. Uh, I guess it, it would depend on how many other surge targets I had. If my goal was to surge them into combat, then sure, I'd toss on Drain Life and get those extra wounds and that free healing. Um, but I think that's a little situational depending on how they use them. I don't like them with the type of list that I tend to make, which is a little faster. You know, I want speed six at least, uh, aside from the monolith and soul snare. And um, I think that they're a little too slow for that type of play. I agree with that. And yeah, the, the Drain Life is definitely not an auto-include, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I think it has a place, but sure. should be considered. But If, we're, if, if we're making like a little bit a little bit of a slower sort of truly just grind fest army, you know, yeah. having them sprinkled in between your other super hard to kill stuff like blocking that's flanks. Cool. And that's a, one thing I like about the, the hero chariot base is you can do some funky stuff to block game space with it. And mm-hmm. the reanimate behemoth is one that you could give something a flank and not care where, you know, I'm going to use its flank to its long side to block the flank of a mummy reg or whatever. Uh, it could, sure. it could take some, it could take some damage, but. Yeah. I mean, cause it still has nine attacks hitting on threes. Crush two is not crush three granted, but that, that Slayer comes up more often than you would think. Um, right. It's much more respectable than people. I feel like, Counted as currently, um, I do think that going to, to dash seventeen is a pretty significant shift for it. Yeah. People should at least begin to consider it because that one extra nerve at defense six, right, is like how I mean you could do the math and it's how much extra nerve at defense five does the one point of nerve at defense. It begins to be more and more nerve extra the the further you go down in defense, right? When you're looking mm-hmm. at like the math. So it, it, when we say, oh, it's only one extra point of nerve, but that makes a difference at defense six. Is, is that what you're saying basically? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. For sure. Well, what about another big boy? And this is the big boy that it's like, I'm not trying to tell people to be quiet about and not talk <laughs> about so much because it's, uh, I think one of the biggest changes for us out of the big red book is the change to the undead worm or for us old school guys the bone dragon it's speed 10 10 attacks defense four hits on four so kind of you know uh big monster stats dash 18 which is awesome crushing strength three fly life leech it's nimble it's shambling you can surge it but the 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 secret sauce is that it went down from 215 to 180 points. So 35 points. I mean, that's amazing. What do we think about this bad boy? I like it. <laughs> um, the list that I'm t- testing right now has one and a bone giant. The next test list is going to have two of these and skip the bone giant. I like it except against Glade Stalkers. Against Glade Stalkers, 
you know, a, a lot of the, the work I've been trying to do is to figure out how to make it more survivable so it can do its work. But I like that it is usually going to get a flank or a rear, that it's dash 18, that it flies over things, and that it's got native crush three. I could wish we had a way to get that uh, melee four to a melee three, but it's still, I think it's, they're going to have their place both in infantry armies and in faster attack armies. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Like comparing it to the greater air elemental is really the main comparison. And because right. that's also 180 points and it's also a speed 10 fly shamble um, monster profile. The air elemental is probably too good for 180, um, but comparing them, the two, the, the undead worm is possibly still slightly overpriced. But that's because the, the greater air is probably yeah, too good. Is that how good is it? Is that the greater air elementals too good? Or you know what I mean? It's exactly, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it, you're going from a 50 mil base to 75 is very relevant. Um, you're still going to get your flanks. And, you know, if you set if you set things up appropriately, you should still get a flank. All you need is a millimeter, and you can get there. Um, especially with speed 10, fly nimble, you can get that 90 degree contact point, but you still are going to need to work for it a little bit harder. No pathfinder hurts when you're already, when you're only hitting on fours and, you know, proper play, you know, thinking ahead about your placement you can get around that, but it does dictate where you are able to play with that worm. Um, that being said, I think you need a good reason not to take at least one. I, th- I think one is a pretty solid auto include in pretty much every list. Yeah, what I've been noticing with mine, I've been playing a games with one, and I play. I've been playing that with uh, the monolith, which is a, another of our Titan choices, right? Sure. And the monolith, which is also really, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, and we'll talk a, a, about it a little bit here more in a second. But just in regards to playing it with the undead worm, monolith is also a Titan, so same base size. It's also height six. It's defense five, and it's our special at the start of the shooting phase. Um, it can uh, cast uh, a free surge eight on anything within 24. I've been kind of deploying that kind of either center or slightly off. And then I've just been putting against shooting armies. I just put my bone dragon right behind the monolith. Mm -hmm. So at least it's getting some cover. And then I found that the bone dragon works really well, sort of hanging out, not on the edge, like a traditional dragon maybe, but kind of hanging out in the middle-ish and just looking for those cross flanks or looking to hop over 10, land, and then get surged into a flank. Um, have you guys messed around with with running you know, the, the undead worms along with the monolith? Or uh, have you thought about maybe using that as a tool to sort of hide the bone dragon in the beginning of the game, just putting it behind the monolith? I think it has a lot of value. I... The monolith is where we're going to have our first contention of monoliths currently Spoiler don't alert. use the monolith. And we can get into that, but I'm currently not not running it. But I think if you're not taking range attacks, the monolith is definitely an auto-include. Um, and that's why it's not my list. is because it must surge before anything else in the range phase. And given that I, I have my current list has so many range attacks, it really cuts down on my options of what can I shoot before I surge in. So what do you think? I know you're a fan of the monolith, Chris. What do you think about about the uh, the monolith? So to your original question, with the worm, I like that idea, but the worm's got a big butt. You're going to be able, someone's going to be able to see it. The monolith sure. is going to provide yeah. cover, and actually been practicing running it behind Shobik instead. So you can put it right up against Shobik. He still provides cover. 
he provides his iron resolve aura and it gives you further that you can hop. So if someone hits Shobik in the front, uh, there are only a handful of units that you can't then jump all the way over. Turn yeah, that's, a, that's another great place to put it behind Shobik. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I like your idea of screening it. Now in terms yeah. of the monolith itself, I have not created a list without it. I tend to do combined arms. I tend to like a little faster list. And there are games where I don't use the surge in the monolith at all, but it is always a threat. It is always something that my opponent has to contend with. Plus, it's defense 5 17 and unit strength 1. So, you know, push tokens on the monolith and walk yep. it across the board. And and it can run, which is such a and huge it can run. <laughs> and it's hard to kill. And, you know, if it had one attack, it would be the best unit in the entire game if it could actually like charge into something too uh just for the pure pinning someone in place version but i i, I love the monolith uh, i use it in all of my uh dust lists uh it's one of the three units that i automatically include in everything yeah. no i think you bring up a good point about the monolith is it, it is a great token holder right and after playing Speed Basalia trademark for so long, I was like, it's so crazy to have an army and have like something that's just perfect at being like not having to think about who's going to hold my tokens. It's like my tokens go on the monolith. That's less when I'm at a tournament or I'm at a table. Anything that I can I can take mental energy out of knowing that I'm doing this every time. Or it's one, it's it's a little bit uh, that ability of mental thinking capital. I know I'm spending because when you play a surge army, you're going to be th- having to use some extra mental capital, just like how when you play against a surge army. Mm-hmm. So anything that I can have in a list that helps me do, I do this every time. I do like that. So I think the monolith is a great token carrier for sure. Yeah, I, I do want to just clarify my point about not taking it. Of you know, it is. Unless you have a very good reason not to take it, it should be in every list. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to get you a shirt that says, I don't take, I'm with stupid, and it's going to have the monolith <laughs> and like a finger pointing towards you and written. No, I'm just kidding. And that's great. No, I think it's great. I think, and that's why in these, on Countercharge and our army reviews, we try to get people who have experience with the army, but who look at it from different angles. So we can give you guys, here's our, a bunch of different ways to play the army. And you can kind of pick and choose. Maybe you like a little bit of what Chris says. You like a little bit of what Mark says. You don't like anything that I say, which is normal. That's okay. <laughs> I hear that from my wife every day. No, I'm just kidding. And you can kind of, you know, pick and choose what you what you love, what you want to do. Yeah, so I think the Undead Worm is great. I'm curious to see if people spam them because when you think about it, two, you're saving 70 points versus on what it would have cost you. You know, the, the points that you're saving exponentially get bigger and bigger. But like you said, Unless you protect them, that defense four, even at dash 18, they're just going to get, you know, um, last end of last samurai Gatling cannon elf <laughs> bows are just going to shoot your poor defenseless, you know, undead dragons that are just trying to find, a, you know, uh, their path in their second life. And you guys are shooting at them. How unfair. But <laughs> so what do we think about? We do have a couple swarm options. We have the desert swarm and scavengers. Ah. And I know, Mark, you were a fan. You've played the Scavengers before, but oh, yes. um, why don't you lead us on uh, the the swarms and touch base? Why don't you start with the Scavengers? You know, there there are speed 10, uh, 9 and 18 attacks in the regiment or horde, 11, 13, 14, 16 for 90 or 150. Defense 4, speed 10, life leash 2, fly nimble. So there are sort of like 
buffed up gargoyle or flying. What do you what do you, you think left about out these the most important stat, which is height three? Height three, yep. Scavengers, in my opinion, are the best chaff in the game. Regiments are amazing. They will waver. They will die. They're only 11-13, but that extra point of nerve from 10-12 stops them from being wavered so many times. Height 3 blocks line of sight so much. Um, they get in the way, and I've had some where I get in the way, a, They my enemy comes in with a hindered charge, wavers them, and then it's just everything falls apart from there. I, I really have a hard time justifying not taking at least two regiments. My preferred number is three in every list that I can. I think that it gets you such amazing board control, such amazing positioning. Um, you hide them behind your units. They don't sit out front. They run out and get in the way where you need them to get in the way on turn two or turn three. Otherwise, they're sitting behind everything, getting cover or just being blocked by line of sight if they're behind guardians or worm riders. Um, you definitely part of, and this is general tactics we can talk about here in a little bit later, but something you need to keep in mind when using them is not having them on a perfect square grid, not on perfect 90 degree angles with everything. They need to be, you can't see my hands here, but they, they need to be angled off 90, you know, kind of like 10, 20 degrees each other, like towards the outside or towards the inside. That way they can really get into their appropriate angle to block as many units as possible. If they are looking straight forward, they can't run and pivot and get into as optimal of a position. So when you're setting up at deployment on turn one, when you're kind of shuffling things around, make sure that they are not looking straight towards your, t- your opponent's table edge. Make sure that they're 20, 30 degrees off kilter, kind of where you think you're going to need to block up a charge lane, and they'll work wonders. I haven't really liked swarms. Uh, I think I've tried them once and I can't come back to this doesn't do anything for me in a fight. Why am I spending the points? Um, I have used scavengers a little, it's been a while. And I think that I'm, I don't think that I've progressed as a player enough to really get the most out of chaff like that. I think that the regiment is the right size unit. Um, I think that it can do amazing things, but I haven't been able to get that out of the scavengers. Uh, That, and I have no models that remotely represent them on an actual tabletop. So I have not embraced them, Um, but I can see them becoming a part of my gameplay as I get better at this game. You know, I've thought about using them. I'm going to use for my uh, undead worm bone dragon. I'm going to use the Phoenix. And I'm going to paint it like a, a raven, like it's going to be black and the, the flames are going to be like a teal, like a green teal color to go with like my purple, I have purple in my army. So I thought for the scavengers of using the scorch wings who look kind of like mini phoenixes. So mm-hmm. I, I've definitely thought of, of having them in, having played gargoyles in my TK list for so long, our Gur Panthers, having speed 10 stuff that you can like get in the way of things. And then again, eight, if they get into a flank, eight, 18 attacks on fives is not nothing. Critically, like with, with, with the regiment, nine attacks on fives sounds bad, but you also realize that means that on average, you're going to disorder a defense five unit. So that dragon, that dracon horde, the alohi, you're going to do a wound. You really almost always will do at least one. And if not, you're at least height three and can block line of sight. Um, the Desert Swarm specifically, the best use I've seen for it. A regiment makes an excellent blocker for the uh, Soul Snare because it's only height one. So the Soul Snare can sit 
flush right behind that, that swarm base and drain life whatever it wants and can't be charged. Um, the Horde, as a delightful gimmick, if you put the Crystal Pendant and Retribution on it, and it scouts 12 inches forward on turn one, and you get top of one, you walk them forward six inches, you surge them forward again, and now you've got an exploding Swarm Horde right in front of your opponent's front lines, and they need to deal with it. It's a gimmick. I'm not saying it's good. It's fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, you know, play it once, have, have a laugh, probably don't play it again, um, but... I know some people down down in Austin have really enjoyed it at the, yes. at the very least. Yeah, and you mentioned the Soul Snare right there. Let's talk about the Soul Snare. We have two war engines uh, in the EOD. We have the Empire of Dust Balefire Catapult, and then we have the the Soul Snare, which is one of our awesome legendary units. Soul Snare is uh, you know stealthy, one hundred and fifty points, dash fifteen. Drain life nine, but its range on drain life goes up to 18 and the healing factor, I believe it it goes up to 12. I cannot think of a list that this would not, and I'm not against auto include units. I like that units are good. Units should be good in the game. You should have units that you're excited to put in your army every time. But for me, this is one. I can't build an EOD list without a soul snare. Yep. Yep. Soul snare is absolutely auto include hard auto include it must be in every list there's no reason not to i mean it does so many jobs it cleans up at the end of the game it heals your units it's very good at taking down glade stalkers once you get it in range or forcing your opponent to stay back a little so yeah absolutely i mean it's stealthy it's dash 15 for some reason so even even if people want to try Mm -hmm. to shoot it it's very hard to take down at range the drain life nine is ridiculous it's an excellent character sniper uh, excellent glade stalker answer it does so much work that even if you're doing all infantry it helps the grind if you're doing a fast list it has range 18 attack and range 12 heal if you just need something to clear chaff it does a great job of that there is not a function it cannot do in a list and it can it's- shoot into combat exactly yeah. which is it's just, it's just so good it's every it's everything to everyone basically right uh, and the only weakness that it has i think and you mentioned it mark is it is a war machine you just don't want to let someone. You don't want to be an idiot and let like I like I did in a, a game the other day, which is I'll just run it out. You know, you you got to make sure you you protect it a little bit. There's no reason since drain life doesn't take cover to not have it defended. But yep. uh, outside of that, it it is just like it's like a value town. It is the mayor, the chief financial officer. It is the head librarian. <laughs> it is like the boss of value town. It's it's making the rounds. The only reason I can think of not to take it, and it's not a good reason, is if you insist on being 100% Mantic. Because I don't know of what Mantic model would fit as a Soul Snare. I'm going to use the Well of Souls from Abyssals. I guess that's true. And I I, I was thinking of having it either coming out of a cave or or, or I'll I'll get like an Ark of a Covenant like terrain piece. (laughs) And then just have like the Well of Souls. I mean, but that was the only thing I could think of. I've got, uh, and, I, and I, I didn't build this myself. I don't quite have that manual dexterity, but I got a friend to put two mantic skeletons holding basically the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, cool. So mantic enough. It's the only uh, not 100% mantic model in my army. And it's one which I was like, and I, I, I was like uh, trying to like rub up to Mr. Pretzel Twinkie and being like, can I send you like some DoorDash or like whatever? What, what do I got to do to make us make a Mantic Soul Snare happen? It but, will sell so much. It, <laughs> Every Ghost player will buy one. Again, it's got to go on my list to, to Santa Ronnie. 
and I love Mantic to death, but it's like some of the th- things is why not? This isn't every single person's EOD army. Why don't you have one? Everyone will yep. buy one. You know, you don't want it to be like if you wanted to mantify it and make it not just your sort of Ark of the Covenant, which is, I think, the what we think of, you know, do whatever you want. But the fact that it is in almost every EOD, you'd sell out whatever you would, you would sell out. So but um, amazing choice. One of my favorite units in the army. Yes. Um Okay, so now we're going to uh, sort of get into our hero slot. And this is where I find, man, this stuff is expensive, but it is so good. Why don't we, I want to start with the big boy. You know, let's just talk Shobeek. So Shobeek is a hero monster, dash 18, defense 6, speed 7. He's 290 points, but for that you get 10 attacks, crushing 3, He's shambling, strider, very inspiring. He has heal five. He has an iron resolve or a, I love the Mantic model of, for this too. So even if it was a little, I'd probably take him anyway. But I mean, you put this guy in the middle of your battle line and I don't know. I mean, he seems he seems pretty good to me. Yeah, Shobik is ridiculous. Uh, the, my living le- legend package that, that I include have included in every army is the monolith, the soul snare, and Shobik. It's 560 points. That's the reason I run a chariot legion because it unlocks all three of those models. He is really, really good. And people respond to Shobik. He, his, his reputation is almost scarier than, than the experience of facing him. You know, he can help keep your army alive. I, yeah, I, I'm a serious fan of Shobik, uh, especially with some good surge and support. Yeah, this definitely falls under the category of you need a good reason not to take him. Honestly, the main reason I ever cut him from a list is because of the 290 points. He is worth every point, to be clear. But if my list is going in a different direction and I just need those points to solidify the, the concept, I have made lists without him that, that function pretty well. But you need a good reason not to have him in a list, really. And the fact that you, he's he's shambling, right? Because the 10 attacks on threes with crushing three, I mean, that's pretty good. But we all know the issue with that is like the issue with the dragon sometimes, right? 10 dice, I roll, I get three hits. Oh, I roll yep. two ones, I do one damage, right? Just yep. <laughs> that, that little amount of dice, I can't tell you how many times, you know, your dragon charges something or th- this profile and you do one or two damage. But the fact that he is surgeable because 20 attacks on threes with crush three that is gonna kill almost anything in the game exactly um, defense six dash 18 means he's not gonna die to most of anything even if he gets caught in the flank exactly like he can you can take those risky like a little bit risky surges with him he's and give up a little flank. you know it's just i feel it's just you have so many options with him and then once you go through like option one or option two he still has heal five so if you're yeah. maneuvering him around and you're going to surge him, have him cast heal first and then surge him in the combat. And now he's he's not only like casted heal five, but now he gets the fight. So it, and then the iron resolve aura, which I think plays with the whole uh, like theme and defensive aspect of EOD. He is just so good. Yeah, and 100%. he's amazing if you ever have to chaff him. Like if there's a situation where you have to get someone to charge you. Offering up Shobik hmm. will force it. 
people stop thinking about objectives clearly when you <laughs> offer them a chance to finally kill Shobik. <laughs> you want to do that every game or, or yeah. often, but, uh-huh. but you know, he's, he's, he's such an enticing target. Sometimes you can really get people to make bad choices with him. It's like you have the unit with the objective, like running away, and then you give Shobik and you give them a flank on purpose, but don't say anything. And they're like, well, I'm in Shobik's flank. And you're like, oh, I guess you are. My mistake. Oh, no. And, and I, I, call, I call that the Dan King special because he does that all the time where he'll purposely give you a flank and then be like, oh, I forgot. Oh, yeah. No, you're totally in my oh, flank. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. man, yeah, you were take, my flank. Yeah, oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, shucks. You know, and then they're like, <laughs> Shobik. Because we all have that moment playing against EOD. For me, it's like Shobik into the side of Soul Reaver Cab back in the day when they were defense six or whatever. And it's like, we all have that. We want revenge on Shobik where it's like, <laughs> I don't care if I lose this game, I'm killing this MFR, you know? Yep. <laughs> you know, and I just love that his keywords, he has old God as one of his keywords. So it's yes. just like, you know, um, he's just, he's just the boss. And then I, I also want to touch base because this is, uh, as, as we're talking about our hero slots, because I'm curious, this unit has changed slightly. And I know there's been a lot of sort of uh, controversy around the cursed high priest. Mm-hmm. So this is one of our spell casters. You know, previously it was 85 points. Um, it didn't come with any spells. It did have the re- reanimator special rule. Uh, now it's gone down in points slightly. So the Cursed High Priest is now 70 points. Do we think that's going to change? Are we going to see people now kidding out and taking the Cursed High Priest, or is it just still still too expensive? You need I to like have a the Cursed High Priest. Go ahead, oh, Chris. Go, ahead. Yeah. go for it. I like the Cursed High Priest. I've played with the Cursed High Priest. I think the Cursed High Priest with Drain Life in support with a couple of uh, skeleton keyword units, like say a Legion of Chariots and a Troop of Revenant Cavalry can do a lot of damage and he can take those grindy, those units and make them really grindy and help swing combats. You can toss uh, levitation boots on him and he can run around and do bad things, but he's really expensive. So I'm not running one in the list I've been using lately, but he's always an option to consider. Yeah, I don't know if I would run more than one. If I'm taking heroes for surge, which you should take at least one because the monolith is great, but it can't surge more than one unit, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to take a revenant champion with surge. Um, is, is your budget option to get you five five surge basically? Yes. Yeah. yeah, because in general you should only be trying to surge two inches at most if you can help it. If you need to surge six inches in a game, you've made some bad choices, and the curse high priest can help you get there, but you know you shouldn't be praying on a long bomb surge. Um, that being said, Cursed High Priest, if you have some skeleton units around, Fireball 12 it goes to effectively Fireball 14 because you get two rerolls. Throw, throw the diadem on them. That's Fireball 20 effectively. That's not nothing. That's not a small amount of Fireball. Drain Life, I like as well. Um, you know, the new Curse, uh, the new uh, Ho Shadow Beast, I think, has a place on him. Probably the two dice one because you just need to go off a little bit and then you got. He's uh, Spellcaster level three, so you're going to get those five attacks. Um, just because people love to eventually charge him on turn five. I don't think I'd go a game without the Curse High Priest getting charged at some point by some other hero. It means that you're not going to go toe-to-toe fully, but it means that you have a better option than just running away. But 
really, I think you take a Cursed High Priest to be offensive. If you do put Surge on it, it probably takes the Amulet of the Fireheart. That way it can do something else effective, something else offensive on on that turn too. And you bring up a good comparison, bitches. This is what I've been running in my list. I've been taking a Revenant Champion, 65 points, and giving him Surge. And, uh, you know, the Revenant Champion's cheap. It's inspiring, you know, in mm. Crushing Strength 1, four attacks on fours. It can ground a flyer. But because I, I found the exact same thing uh, as you, Mark, is uh, I've been running as my surge the uh, Pharaoh from the mummy, you know, the two mm-hmm. regiments, mummies and the Pharaoh. But he wants to be fighting. He doesn't want to be right. surging. You have the monolith, which is great, but you have to surge in the beginning of the game. So I needed I really felt you needed one more surge piece. And I, I, I tried to find a way to get the Cursed Heist Priest in, but just points-wise, I've just been taking the Revenant Champion and just giving him Surge, and Bob's your uncle. That's, you know, don't give him anything else. Leave him on foot, and then that's what he just has been going around, Surge and stuff. I do I like- think going on to 70 points does help it tremendously. I mean, it's harder it's hard to argue with something that, that's that's cheaper now. Um, yeah. 85 points, you took it if you really liked it. Um 70 points, I really, my personal kit, if I take them, is Fireball with Diadem and also yeah. uh, Alchemist Curse. Uh-huh. That way you have the option of low defense or high defense. Either way, you're going to nuke something. Um, but, you know, it's purely offensive. It's not really support, but it lead, it, it supports the rest of my more ranged-focused combined arms list pretty Got well. It. I always really want to find weakness on it i always want to find hex on it i always want to find wind blast and drain life and uh-huh. basically every spell but i always end up cutting them i play a game or two and it's fine but it just it gets so expensive so fast that i pare it down to just the essential spells that i know are going to be critical and, and offensive and useful and cut everything else off of it so what do we think of sort of the the legend, the living legend sort of version of the high the high priest, which is Sebek Ray the Accursed? He's another one of our uh, legendary choices at 155 uh, points. He'll come with heal five and surge eight, but he comes with a couple of uh, nice uh, special rules. Uh, what are our thoughts on Sebek Ray? I think he's fragile and. The fact that I have to cast heal and surge on the same unit makes me kind of take a pass on it most of the time. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that. I, I think I like him in lists, but definitely nowhere near as auto include as the other three: uh, the monolith, the idol, and the soul snare. Um, I do really. I mean, it's hard to argue with being able to cast two spells because anything that you're going to be surging, you're probably going to want to heal anyway. So I, I often get value out of both of them. I wish you could split the spells because there are times where what I want to heal is not what I want to surge. Um, I, yeah, I that's his. Like uh, he's very inspiring and that's helpful, but normally dust doesn't hurt for inspiring. Yeah, he comes with the glory of the mighty dead, which is after casting heal on a friendly core unit, you can immediately cast surge against the same target. So it's kind of a la a little bit of you know forces of nature have that when you're you know casting on elementals, you can kind of do some double casting or whatever, which which is nice, but it does sort of uh, uh, you are forced to cast that on one thing. And we and again we have he is defense four only dash thirteen. 
and we have so many other things that are expensive. I just, when I get to him on a list to start thinking about it, I never have even close to like enough points to think about spending it on him. You know, I'm going to quick loop back since we're talking about surge casters a lot here to Mark's comment. Um, You know, I, I'm going to say, I don't entirely agree with shouldn't be surging more than two inches. I don't think we should be surging with less than about a 90% chance of making it. But sometimes that's more than two inches. I mean, yeah. Surge 5 Surge five does not get you two inches 90% of the time. I, if I'm running a champion, I'm going to have to toss the tome or the conjurer staff on him so I can make that two-inch surge reliably. But, um, you know, I tend to run three surge casters at 2,300 points and sometimes at 2,000. And chaining a couple of surges together, you know, you can get a pretty good distance nine times out of 10. And that really gives you some tactical options that people have to be wary of, um, even if you don't use them a lot. So I'm not going to disagree with the basic principle of that. You don't want to make these crazy long bomb surges that you're not likely to make, but dust can get, I mean, you can get a 10 inch surge out of dust. If you get three surge casters lined up, greater chance of making it. Mm. And that can win games if you need it. No, that's very true. Yeah. Well, we we do have a few sort of uh, guys riding worms uh, options. You know, we have the Revenant King on Undead Great Flying Worm, 265. We have the Revenant on the Undead Great Burring Worm for 200. So that's sort of the Speed 10 Flying Dragon. And then we have the, the Speed 7 sort of Strider Giant E-esque Dragon. And then we have Apophis, our Pappy, the Champion of Death. I know Matt Carmack is a big fan of Pappy. He's dash 19, defense 5, but for 350 points, I mean, you take a list with him and Shobik, that's 550, 640, somewhere around there. Um, yeah. Uh, do we like Pappy, I guess, if you're not going to take Shobik? These choices all seem good, but we have other things that just feel a little bit better, and they're just so expensive, especially now with if I want to take a bone dragon, I'm just going to, or a worm, I'm going to take the the cheapest one or what do we have any thoughts on our sort of three guys writing worms options? I don't like a, a Paphos. He's just, if he was full elite and not because part of his winds of death or the rule winds of death he has is elite for, for spells. He can reroll ones on drain life and surge. And that's good. Cloak of death is great, but if he was just whole elite, I would like him a lot more that, feels more palatable for 350 because as is he's the most expensive dragon most expensive unit i think as a whole in the game and that puts a lot of pressure on him to really perform um and it's not like if he catches a flank he's going to delete every unit in the game either you know 10 attacks on threes crush three is great but that's just a dragon which is not nothing to be very clear but you know that, that catches a flank if you hit 12 times instead of the 14 or 15 that, that you should. And then you only do 10 wounds on that dash 17 unit. And then you can't roll a seven twice. Sure. You punched really hard, but that's not that low odds that you perform just under average. Yeah. I'm going to agree. I mean, his stats are spectacular, but at that price, he's it's hard to justify. You know, I've occasionally tried to brew up a list to see how many dragons I can get into it. And I think he would shine in a list like that, but none of them have really been, have never really seemed viable. So yeah, I, I take, tend to take a pass on Apophis. 
I do like the other two worms. I like the Revenant King on Great Flying Worm. He is a bus with wings. He can pop into something and just lock it down. If you give him um, an extra point of life leech, so Han's secondary scripture, he's a bus that flies into a fight and sticks around for an annoyingly long time for your opponent. Uh, and that Revenant on Undead Great Burrowing Worm, so one of these days I'm going to have to come up with a list, maybe when I've painted more models, that's more infantry types and a guy, one of those guys with uh, the Brew of Sharpness because 12 attacks on threes with Crush 3 is a lot of damage output and brutal. Yeah. And those are high-quality attacks, right? So like you say, Dust doesn't have a lot of units with high volume, but it's a one. We have some high-quality attack units. I think kitted out for 235 with Sharpness, I think that the Revenant on the Burrowing Worm is potentially a real force in an army. Yeah. Now, the one thing we didn't touch base on, but we touched base on the shooting version, but we did not p- touch base on the regular enslaved guardians. Um, what are our thoughts on those? I mean, when I'm looking at them, I see that they're good. I get it. But I I just lean more towards wanting to take a couple of the shooty versions and get my combat out of other things. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on just the regular enslaved guardians? They're great. <laughs> 18 attacks on threes, crush two that you can surge into a flank is, is pretty solid. Yeah. Honestly, in my opinion, they're, they fall just short of being an auto-include. Depends on the list you want to make. Um, but either them, worm riders, and or chariots, pick two, maybe all three if you want, in a list, um, forms my core. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree. I mean, almost all the lists I've made lately have been two units of enslaved guardians, uh, two hordes, uh, a legion of chariots as kind of the unlocking units and the the punchy core of the list. And then it's been role players and shooters and so on to go around them. I do typically take them naked as well. Um, Me too. I don't really think if you put items on them, they get a little bit too expensive for what they do, in my opinion. They don't really need items. If you do anything, either Hans or... Um, Iron Resolve. Um, I do want to, speaking of items and enslaved guardians, with the archers, if you do ever take them, which I recommend you do, um, I always take them with Elite and either Vicious or the Piercing piercing Arrow. I think those are pretty required items on them, personally. Um, It puts their output up to 11. It makes them very reliable. It means that both of those double dip, well, Elite double dips into melee. Vicious, if you put it on them as well, also double dips into melee. It means that they are expensive. They go up to 265 for a horde, but you're going to get value out of them. I have tended to run them naked or with the piercing arrow. Um, you know, if my enslaved guardian archers are in a fight, then something has gone less than planned. Uh, and if you're, if you're comparing just the shooting output, the piercing arrow gives you the exact same, uh, lift when you get near the averages as elite or vicious for only 10 points. Um, but I agree that there, there was a really good unit as well. Um, I tend to run one in a mixed arms list. 
I mean, what this what you guys are basically telling me is that the new game mode in the new red book about legendary games is I got to be playing that if I'm an EOD player because I want to take everything. And next thing you know, <laughs> I have like a five thousand point army because they have they have a lot of really cool choices that are not cheap. Um, it's very true. Yeah, I, I, we kind of touched on uh, pharaohs. Yes, I don't know if you want to cover those go two, for it. Yeah, two go for flavors. It. That pharaoh on a chariot is looking really tempting with host shadow beast yep. because he can take it. And even if you just get 20 points for host shadow beast three, you don't pay for the plus one caster level. You're at 225 or 240 if you want to go ahead and take surge. And he's defense five dash 16, and he's going to be rocking 11 attacks and 11 quality attacks, you know, hitting on threes on, you know, Crush Two Thunder One or Crush Three, that's a fierce unit for a budget. And if you toss Hans on it, give him extra life leech, he's really hard to kill. And someone that can double his regular attacks in a flank too, right? As opposed yes. to the, the the Pharaoh on foot. Yeah, no, I think the regular Pharaoh, I'm still on the fence about, you know, we talked about it. We did touch base on the upgraded version, the ever the ever living guy. But I think just the regular Pharaoh on the chariot, I think is really great value. I think you get a really good value in that unit. Yeah, and the guy on foot, we actually didn't touch on what I've been testing out lately. Uh, Pharaoh on foot, Wings and host shadow beast. Uh huh. That's flying. And, and if you want to go, you know, lower on the points, he's 220. You lose a point of defense, but defense five regen dash whatever is but still pretty good. Not flying into combat with nine quality attacks. Yeah. It's at 20 inches. Good. So the, the pharaoh on foot, that's the base pharaoh with wings and host shadow beast three is 220. It's nine quality attacks that you can fly. And I'm exploring him as potential answer to nonsense like the elven archmage on a horse with levitation boots and alchemist curse four uh or glade stalkers or things that you could pop in there where that quality of attack is going to shut down something dangerous or kill something dangerous with a lot of maneuverability and reach totally no that's a great point he just flying around that extra host shadow beast just really changes the dynamic of that type of character the having five attacks to going to having nine attacks or ten attacks it makes a, it makes a huge difference, definitely. And dash seventeen and mighty is nothing to sneeze at. Oh, totally with regen, right? So and life uh, leech. Oh, and life, yeah. Oh man, it's just it's like so good. It just makes sense, as as Jeremy says. What you're saying just makes sense. Uh, <laughs> well, I think we covered most. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, granted, we didn't touch on absolutely every single unit, but I think we 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 gave everyone a pretty good idea of what we like, what what we uh, don't like. And now we're we're, we're going to take a quick break, and we come back on the other side. We're going to talk through some possible lists. We'll be right back. I'm Andy Two D Six, the Orange Legend, and you're listening to Counter Charge. Get ready to charge those counters. And we are back. Okay, cool. So uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, different units. We've talked about some possible strategies. But what I love also about uh, Army Review is throwing you guys out some um, some lists. And granted, you know, these are just coming from different players who like different things. But at least it gives you maybe like a, an idea of where to start in your list building or where you, you know, an army might begin. So Chris, why don't you take us off first and just tell us like uh, points wise, your list, read us through the list and maybe take a second. Let us know if you played any games with it 
or uh, sort of how it's done on the table. Fair enough. Um, been a little lax about playing lately. So I'm in the midst of testing this in a couple of play-by-email games, uh, but it's not too dissimilar from, from prior lists. Uh, right now I'm playing 2,300 points. I've got a troop of Revenant Cavalry with Skirmisher's Boots. That's 125 in total. I've got Revenant Chariots with uh, a Legion with Curse Bows and Sir Jesse's Boots of Striding. That's 235 points and three unlocks. Two Hordes of Enslaved Guardians. I had five extra points, so I put a Mace of Crushing on one of them. Horde of Enslaved Guardian Archers, uh, just naked. A Bone Giant, the Monolith, an Undead Worm, the Soul Snare, a Revenant Champion mounted on an Undead Horse with Surge 5, an Ammonite Pharaoh with Wings of Honey Maze and Host Shadow Beast 3 for 220. And then the Idol of Shobek. Uh, it's 12 drops. It's 17 unit strength. It's nine scoring units. And um, so far it seems to be doing okay, but I, I need to test it more to, to really tell. Uh, I think the next permutation, I'll swap the Bone Giant out for another Undead Worm and probably toss the uh, Conjurer Staff on the Mounted Revenant Champion. And that'll be the next list that I test out. Nice. So it's got some punchy stuff. It's got some of the nice living legends. It's got uh, uh, some shooting. Um, it's got the the chariot legion with a little bit of speed. So uh, I dig it. I dig it. Um, okay, Mark, what about you? Why don't you take us through your list? A little bit similar. I have two chariot legions, both with bows. One with the uh, Sir Jesse's boots of striding. The other one with healing brew. Five points. I have two Guardian Archer Hordes, one with Elite, Blessing of the Gods, the other with the Piercing Arrow. I have two Worm Rider Hordes, one with Sharpness, the other one Naked. I've got two Undead Worms. I have the Soul Snare. I have two Revenant Champions, both with Surge, one with the Crown of the Wizard King, so it gets plus six inches on that Surge. So that means it is threatening 23 inches on that Surge, which is fantastic. And then the Cursed High Priest with the Diadem and Fireball on a horse. So, so you're definitely your much more of a gun line. Yeah, and your list is also faster too. So you're taking yep. a little bit more of the speed elements. So you got the chariot legions, you have the worm riders, you have the the uh, uh, the worm. So a little bit more shooting and a little bit more speed. Yep. I like that because then you're shooting and you're forcing your opponent to well I have to move towards you. You put them on a clock, right? Just enough shooting to put them on a clock. And then once they come close enough to you, you can punch them with your speed. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So this is a recent iteration on the list. Previously, I only had the one worm, and those 180 points uh, were two uh, scavenger regiments. But I figure with enough range attack and with enough positioning threat, the chaff aren't as needed. I've only had a couple games with this, this list specifically, and so far it's been working pretty well. But it feels like there could still be some fine-tuning here and there. Um, the roof sharpness is fantastic, but... It is a 270-point horde, so that is always kind of iffy for me. I don't really like units above 250 if I can generally help it. That just happens to be my my threshold for, you know, unit point to taste. But it is always effective, so hard to argue with it. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, so I have the list that I've been playing, and in some ways this is kind of like an in-between list between you guys. 
uh, I've had five games with this list all against, um, I would say like masters level, masters level players. So against good competition. And so far I'm three and two. And one of the losses I was a comp- I was like, you know, you're learning a new army and you just do the stupidest of stupid. I was like, let me fly my soul snare. And I forgot like my Pharaoh had surge and it just was like a whole, oh man, it was all, all, all bad. But it starts with a horde of skeleton warriors with uh, Aegis of the Elohi. So the idea is just making them a little bit more of a tar pit, right? Give them that um, extra iron resolve. So with the Shobic aura, they're getting iron resolve two plus a life leech. I am going with the, 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 the mummy package. So I got two regiments of mummies. I have two regiments of chariots, but I think this is one. I want chariots 100%. I know that I want them. But I'm thinking about, and I built them to be on regiment bases, but they could always go together for a legion. So this is definitely the area of the list that I'm thinking about maybe changing. But right now I have two regiments of chariots with the bows, two enslaved guardian archer hordes, and then the monolith, an undead worm, the soul snare, a revenant champion with the uh, surge with the surge, and then I got the mummy on foot with um, host shadow beast and the mummy or and the the elite aura plus Shobik. So unit strength twenty. So I am picking up a little unit strength in that horde of skeletons and thirteen drops. Interesting. Interesting. With the two regiments and the rev champ, have you considered the formation? I have the bone shakers, which is not what one thing we didn't touch on, which was there is the chariot formation with two chariot regiments, one revenant chariot legion, and the champion. And what you pick up is the revenant, the the champion and chariot regiments get D three rampage, and the legion gets D six rampage. And I have thought about that. And if I really want to go full into the chariots, I think that that is uh, 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 along with shooting. Because, you know, how I understand the Rampage wor- rule to work, that that will work with their shooting attacks. It so, lists melee only, unfortunately. Oh, does it? Does it? Yeah. In the thing, does it say melee only? Yep. Yeah. Okay, well then, okay, then that's probably why I was thinking, because I was using them more as, like, stay back and be annoying and shoot. Yeah, but again, I want to use the chariots. I love the models. I just got that's the one kind of component of the list that I'm still figuring out. I think the Slave Guardian Archers are amazing. The one issue I've had with them is I tend to deploy them near hills when in actuality, I think they're probably better sitting in terrain because I've had a couple of games against shooting where they just get shot off the board. Just bam, they're just done. So I think I need to learn how to um, play them a little bit better and maybe having them have cover is better than being on a hills, being able to see everything without cover. I agree. Um, Because I played against Sylvankin and I had a really hard time I got crushed. The stealthy with the or with stealthy are with their whole army sitting in cover. Enslaved guardian archers. That's where I really see Mark what you're uh, saying about needing something when they go to hitting on sixes. It's a completely different unit than when, when yes. they hit on when they hit on fives. So I yeah, think that, maybe having a little having some items on them, maybe just to help them, just a smidge, might be a good idea. Yeah, and that's that's a part of the reason why I had pivoted to nature recently as well is because the list i love playing the list i read off it night stalkers is a hard counter to it it sure feels like it's it's a very hard match to play when all of your range attacks that you are requiring to soften up and delete units on turn one and two when you're hitting on sixes that doesn't happen 
it, it, it becomes a much different game and it's still winnable, but you are on the back foot and it's, it's pretty rough. Now with the change to the Rift Weaver no longer being an aura and just solo, maybe Night Stalkers will be slightly less prevalent. Maybe my build can be slightly more, you know, uh, viable, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Like when, when those archers go from hitting on fives to sixes or Honestly, at that point, I mostly just start walking forward and taking pot shots and getting lined up to yeah. be more effective in melee. And I thought about like if I don't want to run the money, if if I find I I need a little bit more bang for the buck, I've thought that I I could drop out the mummy package, uh, and uh, like you did, Chris, move the pharaoh to wings, shadow beast, and instead pick up like the worm riders and some scavengers. You know, or the yeah. pick up the worm riders and uh, some other items, our, our chaff pieces or whatever. So I think the mummy package could slot out for something else pretty easily too. So list wise, um, so I love it. I feel I feel really excited about the army and that there are a couple things I think that we all shared right for the most part, which is like the soul snare are you know loving Shobik, but i think the other stuff there's a lot of there's a lot of really interesting options in the list mm-hmm. for sure yeah, it definitely gives you some variety yeah well i really want to thank you guys for coming on to the show usually our army reviews uh i know rob did a dwarf one that was in two parts and each part was two hours so we tried <laughs> to give you like a little bit more streamlined still i hope informative army review but a little bit more digestible so make sure you let us know um, how you like. I tried to keep it to, to as close to two hours as possible. Uh, I really want to thank Chris and Mark for coming on the show. Chris, we got to get a UB game in at some point. Um, Sounds good. Yeah, yeah I, lo- I love UB. We got to get a game in, and I know Mark will we'll play again soon. But oh yeah, uh, do you guys have any shout-outs or maybe what's next on your agenda game-wise or uh, any any final thoughts? Anybody is watching this in reasonable driving distance to uh, Midland, Michigan. We're going to be having a game day at a friendly local gaming store, a, th- a one-day tournament, three games, try and get you home uh, before it gets too late on December 3rd. Uh, more information will be posted on the uh, Midwest region page as soon as I have nailed down the times. And what's the name of that store? Modern Explorers Guild in Midland, okay. Michigan. And you were, you guys just had the Michigan GT because I know Rob was up there. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Um, good group of guys. He just, if you hadn't listened, he did, just did an episode with a bunch of the Michigan GT guys. So uh, uh, very entertaining. That yeah, was a good one. Yeah. What about you, Mark? What's, what's on your agenda coming up? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. There's a couple events here in the Midwest before it, but for sure Adepticon here the last weekend or sec- the second to last weekend of March, the 23rd through the 26th. Um, definitely keep that on your agenda if you're at all interested in, you know, wargaming expos. Um, outskirts of Chicago, very approachable from O'Hare. Uh, definitely recommended. Yeah, I got to figure out who Britain uh, already has a room in the hotel venue because he knows people. Wow. So yes, yeah. <laughs> hard to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, so I was looking at one of the sister hotels, or depending on if. Rob goes, oh, we went one year, Jeff Swan, Rob and I, and we got an Airbnb. So um, that's always a great option too. When you're going to tournaments to cut down on travel costs, if you haven't looked at it, Airbnbs are really cost affordable when you're splitting it with three or four, 
three or four uh, buddies. So definitely look at that if you haven't, as far as we use Airbnbs when we travel for tournaments all the time. Ends up always being cheaper than a hotel, and then you can have your food, you have a kitchen, you have showers, you know, something something to look at when you're when you're thinking about traveling for a tournament. But for me, I have coming up will be this episode will probably be out after. So um, I'll, uh, the Reno Jackalopes crew has their spring or their fall Jackalope tournament, which is uh, a weekend a week from when we're recording this. But by the time this is out, we'll already have come and gone. But it's a 2300 point tournament, and I'm just doing the I'm going the full Monty, the need for speed. I'm running the base aliens, I'm taking the double knights, Alohi regiments, I'm taking Julius, I'm taking a paladin on a dragon, some ogre palace guard, and it's just gonna be, you know, if you're not first, you're last, no points for second place, just gonna be full speed. But that's gonna be a super fun. That's in Reno, so that's coming up. Uh, and then I don't think I think I really want to go into a, my hermit mode because with the Twilight Kin sort of on the back burner with the not knowing where they're going, I must and I emphasize must have a new army to play next year. If I have to play my best aliens next year, I am I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. So the EOD <laughs> uh, must be complete for next year. Otherwise, I'm going to just go crazy uh, or I'll just be on eBay trying to buy old painted pro quote painted unquote armies off of ebay and just multi-base them because uh i love my base aliens but i gotta play something new i'm just going i'm going banana bockers so <laughs> i think this this winter i'm just gonna be like a hermit i'm just gonna her- get all, all cozed up and then just really try to paint and just paint 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 all through the holidays sweet okay. good luck to you Enjoy. thank you we'll see we'll see how that goes but that's <laughs> that's the plan anyway but uh stay tuned we have a, a a couple more army reviews coming up stay tuned for the firefight coverage those gonna if there isn't already there's gonna be a post in the counter charge facebook page on a poll on which army you want to see tyler kyle and i do our first in-depth firefight army review on so just make sure to vote on that faction wise what faction you want to see us cover and then we got a couple other stuff coming i think the the companion app coming out with the new ogres coming out all the exciting stuff for next year i think things are only looking up and up for kings of war so i don't know how you guys feel but i think it's a pretty exciting time yeah for sure well as always please remember to keep counter charging thanks for listening And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 